Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. From today's reading from the book of Revelation, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I have a dream. As you may know, these famous words of Martin Luther King Jr. were delivered in front of the Lincoln Memorial to a group of people committed to civil rights. Known for leading the fight for racial equality, Dr. King is remembered not only for what he fought for, but more importantly, for how he fought, and more specifically, for his ethic of nonviolence. But what many of us fail to appreciate is that many supported this dream of racial equality, but they did not support the nonviolent approach. And in fact, so clear was Dr. King on the centrality of nonviolence that in 1963, a Birmingham campaign pledge was introduced that anyone who wished to join the movement was required to sign. It was a simple card which consisted of 10 core commitments, and in the interest of time, I'll share only the first three of these with you. Number one, I will meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Number two, I will always remember that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Number three, I will walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Now, today is the feast of St. Michael, for whom we as a church are named. And Michael was also a fighter, known best for his fight against the devil. And I've always found it odd that when this church was planted, the founding members agreed to name us after this fighting angel, as if to say, whatever it is that Michael fought against, that we as a church would fight that thing too. Because here's the thing, I do believe that there is a fight that we as Christians are asked to enter. In fact, at every baptism in the Episcopal Church, before the baptism takes place, the evil powers of this world, which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, must first be 
renounced. In other words, behind today's reading from Revelation with all its apocalyptic symbolism, there is a larger point being made, namely that there is something loose in this world that's bigger than we are, and that the movement of this force is to estrange us, not only from God and from each other, but also from our best selves. Jim Hollis tells a chilling story about a German man who was interviewed in the late 1940s after the end of World War II. He worked for the German National Railway, and his job was quite literally to keep the trains running on time. He went to work every day, and he did his job with precision and excellence and efficiency, and then he went home to hug his kids and kiss his wife, to have a warm meal and sleep in a warm bed. This man was kind. He was courteous friendly, professional, responsible. He was a member in good standing at his church. But the cargo on those trains were human beings, and the destination was a concentration camp. Now, I share this story not because this man was bad, but rather because something bad had this man and a lot of other people in its grip. And, you know, we can call that bad thing whatever we like. We can call it Satan, sin, ignorance, institutional racism, systemic injustice, the evil powers of this world. We all use a different label. But here's the deal. The truth is human beings have to fight and to fight hard to make sure that we are not among those who fall into its grip. And what I'd like to suggest on our feast day is that it is a powerful thing to be named after Michael. Because look, all these other Episcopal churches, they're named after an apostle. Some flawed, neurotic human being. What a bad choice their founding members made. But not us. We're named after an archangel, a fighter. You know, I mean, basically, Michael's like the Chuck Norris of heaven. But again, with that name comes a responsibility, and that is to take our place in the fight. And so, really quickly, I want to say three things about that. First, our fight is never against another human being. It's never against a group of human beings. Because, friends, human beings are sacred. Every last one of us, we all bear the image of God. I love how one Russian novelist and philosopher put it. He writes... If only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate these evil ones from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, 
And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? And that's why the first commandment of the 1963 Birmingham Campaign Pledge was a promise to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. It's because Dr. King knew that he too was capable of being gripped by the same forces of hatred, ignorance, and superiority that he himself was marching against. And in a sermon preached at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1956, he said this, As you fight for justice, be sure to move with dignity and discipline, using only the weapon of love. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. And so that's the first thing we need to say. Our fight, it's never against another human being. It's not against a group of human beings. Our fight is against something else. And that brings me to the second point. The fight is against human suffering. It's against your own suffering, your neighbor's suffering, your family's suffering, your community suffering, the world's suffering. Because here's the deal, there's a lot of people out there who will say suffering is bad, but it builds character, or suffering is bad, but that's how we learn and grow. And while I certainly know God's capacity to bring good out of human suffering, all that does is testify to God's goodness, not to the goodness of suffering itself. Because when confronted with suffering, Jesus would heal 100% of the time. There's not a single story in the New Testament of coming, someone coming to Jesus to be healed where Jesus says, I know this is hard, but let's wait six months. You know, I want this suffering to refine you, to teach you some lessons. So let's circle back in February. Peter keeps my calendar. Just get on my schedule. We'll heal the suffering then. You know, that never happened. Jesus would heal the suffering right away. Jesus fought human suffering wherever he went. And you and I are invited to do the same. And finally, last but not least, we fight as people who join in an already secured victory. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writes, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. The point, of course, is that God has won the battle. As the great hymn we just sang put it, the strife is over, the battle done, the victory of life has been won, the song of triumph has begun. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And so as Christians, we believe that though the battle rages on and suffering clearly remains a part of our human experience, that the ultimate victory has already been secured and not only that, but secured through the most beautiful display of nonviolent resistance this world will ever see. And that's God made flesh, 
submitting to the powers of darkness, dying on a cross for the sins of the world, only to rise again on the third day. And at the heart of the Christian gospel is our belief that we too have been raised with him and in him so that we might live our life for him. And so let me end by saying this. Virginia Dorr was an upper-class white woman in Alabama who lost a lot of friends and a lot of money when she threw her weight behind civil rights in the 1960s. She's best known for bailing Rosa Parks out of jail. But whenever she died, her obituary contained some lines from a letter that Rosa Parks wrote upon her death and mailed to her family. And one of those lines quoted was this, I will miss you, old soldier. And so isn't that incredible? Two elderly women, different races, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, neither of whom had probably ever touched a gun in their entire life, yet both were generals in the army of the Lord. And I would submit that if we are committed to standing up for what is right, and more importantly, committed to becoming the right sort of person, that St. Michael will stand with us. And it really doesn't matter how ordinary your life may seem. It doesn't matter how imperfect you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you feel. You have a part to play in the fight, and you have a place to celebrate in the triumphal procession. Because every time that we resist a selfish impulse, every intentional act of kindness meant to alleviate human suffering, every time we resist the voices of shame, each time we refuse to act on the basis of fear, or whenever we choose to give another human being the benefit of the doubt, whenever we do these things, we renounce the evil powers of this world and we play our part in the coming triumph. Because God has a dream and a Christian is one who fights for that dream with courage and grace and truth. And look, if we don't know where to start, I'll leave us with three places which I borrow from someone who I think was pretty effective at this work. We can meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. We can remember that what we seek is justice and reconciliation, not victory. And above all, we can walk and talk in the manner of love for God is love. Happy St. Michael's Day. Amen.